If you have your Bibles this morning, I encourage you to open them to Matthew chapter 21. Matthew chapter 21 is where we're going to study God's Word together this morning, and I'm thankful as we've already worshiped together through song is just the intentionality that we've had in prayer this morning, from Brother Chuck leading us in the welcome to Brother Aaron in that moment praying and just asking that God would speak to us, because what good is anything we do in this room or at all in our lives if we don't experience the Lord, amen? And that's our desire this morning is to hear from him, to be changed by him, and to walk out these doors and be obedient to what he's calling us to do. I want to share a message with you this morning entitled, What Would Jesus Do? What would Jesus do? And in 1886, there was a pastor by the name of Charles Sheldon of Topeka, Kansas, who began a sermon series entitled, What Would Jesus Do? He used that slogan to challenge his congregation through many different weeks to process that question throughout their life. Whether they were walking through a circumstance or trying to make a decision, he would ask that question. And as all good pastors, he would do the best he could to leave them hanging so they'd come back next week. That's a pretty good idea for a pastor to do something to leave them hanging. So he'd kind of tell a scenario and he'd say, come back next week and I'll talk more about that. And we'll think about this question a little bit deeper. But what would Jesus do? But we know that question today is abbreviated with four letters, W-W-J-D, correct? Everybody heard that before? Everybody seen that? Maybe seen a bracelet like this before? And that bracelet, this bracelet and that slogan and that abbreviation became popular from Charles Sheldon in 1886 when he began and wrote a book about what God was leading him to think about when it came to that slogan. But in 18, excuse me, 1989, a leader in a church in Michigan by the name of Janie Tinkleton read the book of Charles Sheldon, and she was a leader in a youth ministry in her church, and she wanted her teenagers to think about that question, to process that question, so in that time frame, there was something popular called friendship bracelets. Raise your hand if you had a friendship bracelet in the 1980s. Anybody have a friendship bracelet? My uh, four-year-old daughter right now received a friendship bracelet from a little boy in the nursery here at church. And I, I uh, still to this day hadn't had a conversation with that little boy yet, but uh, just know it's coming. Well, in the day and time of this the bracelets were cool. So this youth leader, Janie, in Michigan, decided that she would abbreviate it and put it on bracelets. And listen to this. She ordered 300 bracelets at the very beginning. That's all she ordered was 300 bracelets. To this day, there has been many, many more of those bracelets created because of what began in that moment in 1989 in that youth group. And it was all surrounded by that question, what would Jesus do? And this morning, that's the question I hope over the next few minutes that we can process together we can ask ourselves the question, what would Jesus do? And think about it in two specific ways. And here's the specific questions. What would Jesus do if he came into this room today? 
If he walked into what we call Ridgecrest Baptist Church today and he came and sat in this room, what would he do? The second area of question to think about this morning is what would Jesus do if he sat with you at your favorite spot? Now, I know in the room for a second, you have a favorite spot. You with me? Maybe that couch in the living room. And and, uh, for the kids in the room, the teenagers in the room, you know you don't touch dad's couch, right? Especially don't touch the remote. But don't touch dad's couch or his chair. Maybe it's a coffee shop. Maybe it's Chick-fil-A on the circle, if you can get in there, wherever it may be, there's a spot that you have that's a favorite area of yours. What would Jesus do if he sat with you in that moment and talked with you? You know, our pastor has given us this promise from Haggai chapter two, verse nine, that I love that God has used in my own personal life in so many ways. It says this, the glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. And in this place, I will grant peace, declares the Lord Almighty. But there's a few things that is also said in Haggai, in the book of Haggai, that God has brought to my attention to help me realize that if I'm going to experience the greater glory of God, there's a thing that I need to think about specifically in my life. And multiple times in Haggai chapter 1, it says this, to think careful about your ways or consider deeply what you're doing. And this morning, if you and I are gonna experience the greater glory that God has for our house, which we want to, I hope, we believe together, then you and I are gonna have to take seriously the way we're living our lives each day. We're gonna have to think deeply about the decisions that we're making, think deeply about the way we're living our life. And the reality is we believe and know that the hand of God can fall at any time in any way, but you and I also can position ourselves. We can position ourselves to be ready, and we can position ourselves for a deeper desire, a deeper walk with him. Pete Scazzaro on a podcast I was listening to this week says this, so much of what we are doing is not working anymore to deeply change people in the area of discipleship and spiritual growth. We have way too many people who are overly comfortable in their spirituality and or have a faith that is in their heads intellectually but not integrated in their everyday life. May it be said of us here at Ridgecrest this morning that we can think deeply and process this question of what would Jesus do in a few areas as we think about this passage from Matthew 21. If you'll stand with me, we wanna read together this morning. Matthew chapter 21, verses 12 through 13. Matthew chapter 21, verses 12 through 13. It says this, Jesus went into the temple and threw out all those buying and selling. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves. He said to them, it is written, my house will be called a house of prayer but you are making it a den of thieves. Let's pray together. Father, thank you again for this morning. Thank you for your word, and I pray this morning that you would open our hearts, you would enlighten our hearts to hear from you. God, to search deep inside of us and to uh, evaluate where we are compared to where you want us to be and know that your love is greater and that your power is greater and that you'll guide us and help us to get to where you're guiding us and leading us in the days ahead. So Father, we 
open our hearts for you to speak this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we think of Matthew, you can be seated. As we think of Matthew chapter 21 this morning, Matthew 21 begins with a triumphal entry of Jesus coming into Jerusalem. It's that moment that we all know where he was greeted with Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And as you read the context there of all four gospels, we see as Jesus comes in on that triumphal entry, he goes and goes directly to the temple. He goes into the temple in that moment and it shows us the importance that Jesus placed on the people experiencing God. We see as Jesus initially goes right to the temple, he wanted you and I and the believers in that day and for all of us to know that what was most important to him is that we experience his presence, walk in obedience, and worship him. Think about this for a second as we process our day and time. We come in here with many different reasons. We come in here with many different things on our mind, but may it be said that our desire as we come into this door is to experience the presence of God. Hear from him, be obedient, and worship him with all of our hearts. The thought here is Jesus does what he <coughs> did in Matthew chapter 21. He did it because there was inward corruption and outward fruitfulness. Hear that for a second. Why did Jesus overturn the tables? We'll talk more about it in a minute. But he did it because what he saw in the temple was inward corruption and outward fruitlessness that were evidence of the hypocrisy of the people of that day. May that not be said of us. If you have your outline there in your worship folder, we want to write down a few things today because the more we write down, the more we remember. And so we have a main idea. This is the most important kind of thought today that we hope you leave here with thinking about what God is calling you to do when we ask the question, what would Jesus do? And so this morning, our main idea is this, God will show me the change and help me make the change. For you and I sitting in this room together today, God will show us the change that needs to be made personally. God will show us the change that needs to be made corporately. But thankfully, we don't have a God that'll just show us, amen? We have a God that says the power that's in us is greater than any power in this world. He'll help us make the change. And so we wanna process this main idea uh, this morning and think more about it. So point one there underneath the main idea is this, evaluate where change is needed. This is for all of us in the room right now to take seriously, to think deeply about where we are, to evaluate where change in our lives is needed. Jesus right here, it says in verse 12, went into the temple. He threw out all those buying and selling and he overturned the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those that were selling doves. Now here's the deal and what was happening here in this time frame of scripture. The people in the temple thought that they were doing something good, came up with an easy plan, came up with a way for all of the people to come to the temple to do what it was that they wanted to do, and that's experience God. And one of those things specifically that was taking place here was there was the selling of the sacrificial animals. So when you came to the temple, you brought your animal to sacrifice and to experience God in a deeper way. And so the people in the temple, the leaders of the temple, thought they had a good idea and said, let's just sell the animals here at the temple. 
like drive-through service type thing. Just right here in the temple, the people coming from many different directions wouldn't have to carry their animal. They could just bring the money and buy it here in the temple. It was a good idea. It was an easy idea. But what also took place is in the area that they set these tables up was known as the court of the Gentiles. And the court of the Gentiles was where anybody, any outcast, could come into the temple with the goal of experiencing God and hopefully desire to see him more. But what had taken place, and one commentator, Warren Wearsby, says it like this, is that the court of the Gentiles was used for mercenary business, not missionary business. And what an amazing thought. God intended his temple to be a place where he could be experienced. God intends our lives to be a place where he can be experienced. God intends his church to be a place where he can be experienced. And what was taking place in Matthew chapter 21 here is that the people were missing God because of the selling of these animals. And what a dangerous thought that you and I could do something to keep someone else from experiencing God. That was what was taking place. They were making church. They were making the temple about so much more. And that's what I process as I've read this passage over and over again. And the other context in the uh, Gospels is what may I, what could I be doing that could cause someone to miss God? And may that not be the case in my life. And so there's two key areas that we want to evaluate this morning. Under number one, if you just want to drop, uh, jot these down, just two specific Areas as we ask the question and think about where evaluation and change is needed. The first is personally. Personally, this morning, what again would Jesus do if he sat down with you at your favorite spot? And as we evaluate this, I just want to also kind of start here is there's another bracelet that got made famous and another initials and letters that got made famous, and it was H. WLF that says he would love first. So in your evaluation personally, and if Jesus sat down with you personally, just know this morning he would sit down as a father of love. He would sit down and, and yes, he might not be necessarily happy in a, uh, something that's going on in your life, but he would sit down as a father of love and he would say, I love you, Chase. I love you where you are, and I want to help you get from where you are to where I want you to be. He would love you first. Proverbs 3, 11 and 12 just reminds us of that love. Do not despise the Lord's instruction, my son, and do not loathe in his discipline, for the Lord disciplines in, uh, the son in whom he delights. So personally, what would Jesus do if he sat down with you? Be reminded of 1 Corinthians this morning, chapter 6, verse 19, that says, don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, who you have from God. We are the temple of God this morning. We experience God differently than they experienced in the New Testament. The Bible tells us in Hebrews that we have a great high priest in Jesus, and that's good news, that we can approach boldly the throne of God and we can experience God in a deep, uh, just personal way because of who Jesus is 
And as we see that this morning, we see that we are the temple. We are the people that go into a lost world in desperation for God to use us and for God to allow our walk with the Lord to impact other people's walk with the Lord. Again, personally, we have an opportunity to help other people experience God in a deeper way. May our hearts be as David. Listen to this as he writes in Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my concerns. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. Recently, I've read 1 Chronicles 16, verse 1, that's been so powerful in my own personal walk with the Lord and just a verse I've read over and over again. And may this be the set of us as well as we evaluate ourselves personally. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his presence continually. Tolstoy once said this, and as we think of evaluating ourselves, this quote will help us greatly. Everybody thinks of changing humanity and nobody thinks of changing himself. Every one of us, we think about changing humanity, and no, our world needs to be changed. But may the change start here. May the change start with me. And asking that question, what would Jesus do, begin in our hearts. You know, this week, I brought this little journal up here. Guys, it's not a diary, okay? It's not a diary, yeah, the choir laughed a lot at that one. It's not, it's not a diary, it's a journal. Men, we can have journals, all right? And this week, I was sitting in a local coffee shop, finishing, preparing for this message. And as I was sitting there, I got to this place where it was like God was speaking personally to me. And I told this to the, the deacons earlier as we prayed for this service, and I told this um, to a couple other people, but the Lord has used my preparation in this message probably greater in my life than he has any other preparation for any other message. And I stopped for a minute right here on 721-22, and I just wrote these words, evaluation of me. And I began to write down some things that I felt like God was bringing to light in my personal life to make sure I was positioning myself to experience him in a greater way to help other people experience him. So this morning we have to begin by evaluating ourselves personally. But then secondly, we also have to continue and evaluate ourselves corporately. As a church, what would God do if he walked into this place? Psalm 69 verses eight and nine, write that reference down because I love what it says. The psalmist says this, I have become a stranger to my brothers and a foreigner to my mother's sons because, listen to this, zeal for your house has consumed me. Can we say as a church that the zeal for the things of God consumes us? that we want more than anything to, to experience him, to walk into this place and, and to know that he's here and to be changed by him, to then leave this place and help other people to be changed as well. When I served in Montgomery as the student pastor at the church that I served at there, our pastor would always look at us at the end of every staff meeting and he would tell us this, remember this this week, keep the main thing the main thing. That's what he'd say. 
He'd look at us and he'd say, this week you will have a great week if you keep the main thing, the main thing. What did he mean? Allowing the church to be about what God intended the church to be. About people experiencing him, about the great commission of making disciples, of growing closer to him, to going, to baptizing, and allowing other people to be changed. But here's what happened in Matthew 21. The church, listen closely to what happens here. The people came up with a comfortable thing. You with me? This hurts. (laughs) This hurts to think about here. But they came up with a comfortable thing. It was comfortable to put the tables there. It was comfortable and easy for them to sell the stuff there. And as I thought about that comfort, how many times do I allow my comfort to change my experience in the church? The second thing that happens here, they came up with a plan that would benefit them. We're all good at plans, right? You with me? Like you are, raise your hand for just a moment if you already know where you're going to lunch after church today. Who already knows? There we go. We got some planners in the room. And you're like, we know, and you're already thinking about it, right? And now I got you totally off the message because all you can think about is what you're going to order at Cracker Barrel today. We're good at planning and doing student ministry for so many different years that I've experienced it. I was always really good at planning. Man, I was on top of it, crossing T's, dot I's, getting everything together. But here's what would happen. God would change my plan and I would get stressed out, but it was all about him changing the plan so that he could be experienced. And I allowed my plan to sometimes even help or really distract me from experiencing God. So the people in Matthew 20, they had a plan. They also came up with something right here in Matthew 21 that really benefited, listen closely to this, it benefited the earthly kingdom, but not the heavenly kingdom. There was benefit here in Matthew 21 for the selling of these animals and the things that were taking place in the kingdom or in the the temple for the earthly kingdom. There was a financial benefit. It was better that they get that money there and they could control it there and then do what, who knows what with it there. And it had nothing to do with the heavenly kingdom. So as a church, may we think about, again, the heavenly kingdom so much more than the earthly kingdom. I love this quote and I I quote it a lot, but David Platt says this, the greatest hindrance in the church today is the people of God doing the work of God without the power of God. And I've heard that and I've thought so deeply about that in my own personal life, like how many times have I been there? It's easy to show up, it's easy to sing, it's easy to teach, it's easy to come and sit, but miss the power of God. So this morning, how do we personally and corporately evaluate where we are. Well, the three things that I just want to bring out that happens here in verse 12, and then we'll move on to point two, but it's this, let Jesus in. If you want to deeply evaluate your life personally, and we want to evaluate it corporately, let Jesus in. It says Jesus entered the temple. I encourage us all this morning, as the psalmist said, to search me, O God. Let Jesus in your life. He wants access to your life to love you and guide you to where he wants you to be. Secondly, this morning, as we want to think about evaluation and where that's needed, let Jesus throw out. It says here that he threw out all those buying 
and selling. Jesus and God, I believe, through the Holy Spirit, wants to get rid of all the things in our life that are keeping us from experiencing him. Let him throw those things out. And then lastly, right here, we see in verse 12, Jesus, let Jesus overturn. There are a lot of things in our life that we make about us. God intended everything to be about him, and Jesus overturned the tables, and may it be said of us this morning that he overturns things in our life to not be about us, but to be about him. So let Jesus in, let Jesus throw out, and then let Jesus overturn. You know, I've officially hit, I believe, dad life. All right, dad life. Now, and here's the thing, it hit me like two weeks ago that I officially hit dad life, and it's not because I have four kids, that's what's crazy. It didn't hit me that I have dad life because of the four kids, the awesome four kids that we have. No, it hit me that I, have, I am now experiencing dad life because I find myself watching a National Geographic documentary on national parks. Y'all with me? Y'all know you've officially hit that moment where you're like, man, we're in the documentary stage of life. (laughs) But I find myself watching these national park documentaries and the kids will come in and they'll be like, what are you doing, dad? (laughs) What is this? I'm like, it's good, son, sit down and we'll talk about it after it's over. Y'all know that never happens. They don't sit down. But there's this documentary about the national parks and I've been intrigued by what's taking place. The parks and the beauty captivate me as I watch it. But also though, what has intrigued me about the national parks more than anything is the people that fought to protect them. People like Abraham Lincoln who signed the Yosemite Valley Grant Act in 1864. He did this so that people could know that the conditions at the premises, the national park shall be held for public use, resort, and recreation. People like President Roosevelt, who created the United States Forest Service and established 150 national parks, 51 federal bird reserves, four national game preserves, five national parks, and 18 national moments. People like President Woodrow Wilson in 1916 who signed the act creating the National Park Service, a federal bureau in the Department of Interior Responsibility for protecting the 35 national parks. People like Franklin Roosevelt, our 32nd president who signed an executive order that considered all national parks, monuments, uh, cemeteries, uh, all of those type things a part of the national park system. Why do these people stand out so much to me? Because they are people, listen closely, that evaluated and understood the need for measures to be taken to protect these special areas. They understood that there was a part they could play to protect them. And here's the thought this morning. The same is true for us. This is an opportunity. There is an opportunity for you and I today as the church for a lost and dying world to protect and allow the church to experience the one true living God. But it comes from us evaluating personally and corporately. But secondly, this morning as we wrap up, 
the heart for us today as we look at Matthew 21 is not just to evaluate. And we're really good at evaluating. And sometimes we're even better at evaluating for the people around us, not for us. Y'all with me? Some of us in the room might be sitting next to a spouse and you're like, you need to be listening to this. We're really good at evaluating, but this morning, may more importantly, may we experience the change, and that's point two. May you and I be people that don't just say, okay, God, I know this, I know this, I know you love me, I know I'm right here. No, may we be people that experience that change. May we walk in that direction that he's leading us to walk. May we say, as Brother Aaron prayed earlier, our yes already be on the table to follow after him. Verse 13 here of Matthew 21 says this, he said to them, it is written, here's the change, my house will be called a house of what? Prayer. But you are making it a den of thieves. What I love here about Jesus in Matthew chapter 21 is he always, as he taught and he led, was that he never told people what to do and didn't do it himself. He always talked about the importance of whatever it was and then he showed it to them. And we see that in verses 14 through 17. Because immediately after Jesus flips the tables, talks about the church being a house of prayer, the temple being a house of prayer, he then heals people. He then talks to people about what was going on in their life. And then he is then praised by these kids, these children here in verses 14 through 17. He is praised for who he is. So Jesus has demonstrated what he desires for his people and the church to be about. One commentator, as I was preparing for this message, said this, what does God want in his house? God wants prayer among his people. For, listen closely. For true prayer is an evidence of our dependence on God and our faith in his word. What God wants for us to experience is ultimately him in a deeper way. I would say this, not just him moving, but God wants us as followers of Christ to experience him. Experience him personally. And so this morning, as we think about experiencing God in a deeper way and experiencing the change that he's leading you and I to make this morning, I want us to embrace this statement in Matthew chapter 21, verse 13, in a little bit more intense way to help us experience the change. And it's the statement where he says, my house will be called a house of prayer. And the first part of that statement, if you and I are going to experience the change that God is leading us to make, the first part is my house. My house, that word my in the original language, that pronoun shows the depth and the deity of who God, who Jesus was. It shows that Jesus was fully God and that the temple, the house of God, the temple, our lives was to be all about him. So if you and I on a daily basis want to experience the change that God is calling us to make, our lives have to come, become all about God. Every area of our life, every area, not just this area, not just Monday, Sunday and Monday, not just Wednesday nights, not this, not that, every area, the way we interact about sports, the way we interact on social media, the way we interact with our neighbors, the way we interact in the drive-through, the way we interact as we drive through the circle. Oh boy, yeah, I heard that, front row, oh boy. 
Every area of our lives has to be all about him. And that's what he meant when he said, my house. He personalized the temple. He personalized the church and he personalized our lives. It's all about him. But then secondly, he said, my house will be called. Those three words, will be called. Those words show us that God had a clear plan and a purpose for the temple. You with me? That Jesus was helping the people to understand that he had a clear plan and a clear purpose for the temple. And the same is true for you and I. I love this. That God has a clear plan and a clear purpose for your life. So to experience the change, make your life all about him and seek that clear plan and that clear purpose that God has for your life. And experiencing that will allow there to be a daily basis of change. But then lastly, he said a house of prayer. A house of prayer. These words show us in this moment that God is serious, listen closely, about prayer. And he's serious about us personally seeking his face. Jesus here is referencing Isaiah 56, 7 that says this, I will bring them to my holy mountain and let them rejoice in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be acceptable on my altar for my house will be called a house of prayer for all the nations. House of prayer, experiencing the change as you and I, again, making Jesus, making God, uh, making it all about him, walking in his purpose and his plan and seeking his face. And that will lead to change. Listen to this quote by R.C. Sproul as we think about the temple being a house of prayer. Jesus did not call the temple a house of sacrifices or a house of preaching. He called it a house of prayer. The temple's chief designation was that it was to be the focal point of the nation and of the people for prayer. So for you and I this morning, we have an opportunity to say, God, help me to experience this change. Help me to make my life about the things of you versus the things of this world. As I think of this serious pursuit of God, it takes me back to a child in a lot of ways. It takes me back to a little, little guy that sat in this room somewhere, somewhere normally over here. I don't know why. Everybody over here, you're always over here people. Y'all with me? And we were over here people. And I'd sit back here and we would come to church and experience church. And I'm so thankful for godly parents that would lead me and bring me here. And I would see that in their life. But I also remember greatly the leadership and the love and the heart for the Lord of my grandparents. Two of them are sitting right back over here that I love so deeply. And if the others aren't in here right now, they'll be here in the second service. They've already told me. So... But I remember the heart of love and the leadership of my grandparents. And what I remember is that they would always help me to know more than anything that they loved me, but past that, that God loved me and that they were praying for me. And I remember every time I'd leave their house, those words would come into my heart and they, don't, they didn't ever know the impact that that made, but that, that impacted me greatly because I saw Four people, four grandparents that the Lord's blessed me with that are still alive to this day, which is just a blessing of the Lord. That would take seriously the things of God. 
And I was able to watch that and it impacted me so many ways. I would also go to my, uh, my um, mom's mom and dad's house on Monday nights and I mean, y'all know how it is going to grandma's house. The food is good. Both sides of grandparents, the food was great. And I love going to grandma's house because there was always Reese cups and a lot of dessert. So, but Monday nights, Monday nights, going to my mom, my mom's mom and dad's house, we would go and pa, that I call him, would leave, just leave. Like we would be mid-dinner. And I'm like, pa, the, the, um, What's it called? The cake. Pound cake. The pound cake's not here yet. And you're leaving dinner? Like, we got strawberries and ice cream this morning, or this evening. He'd leave dinner. When I got older, I, I figured out where he was going. Where was he going? Every Monday night, 6.30, Bethel Baptist Church. Why was he going to Bethel Baptist Church every Monday night at 6.30? To pray. To pray with the pastor. To pray with the leaders and ask that God would work and move. I had the ability to see change lived out in both sets of my grandparents that helped me see the importance of seeking that myself. And so this morning, God will show me the change. What change is it for you? What change is it for me? God will show us that change, but he will also help us, amen? Make that change. As we close today, here's what I want you to do. In your handout there, uh, in your worship folder, right there underneath your outline are three questions and three prayer responses. Before we close and get to the invitation, I want to take a moment to seriously think, to consider deeply, Haggai 1.5, to consider deeply the ways that we're living. And I want to lead us all for a moment as a house of prayer to evaluate some things and seek the Lord and ask him to help us. Can we do that? Would y'all agree and, 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 and jump in with this and be serious with this for a minute? We just take this time to say, God, help me today to experience the change that you're leading me to experience and to be changed for your glory. The first question is this, and these are three questions that the Lord's used personally in my life in the last few months as I think about my own life. The first question, am I just religious? Can we stop and pause for a second and ask that question? Am I just religious? Am I just showing up to show up? Am I just doing the things just to do them? Am I just caught in the, the race of life? How easy is it? Four kids, how easy is it to just be caught? And man, just cannot wait some days for bedtime. Y'all with me? <laughs> To just be caught and man, just getting them ready for school and waffles on the table or, or whatever it is, just to get caught, just to get caught in, in everyday life, playing golf, going fishing, doing whatever it is for you, going to work. Am I just religious? As we think of that question, can we bow our heads across the room and, and pray this together? I want you to pray specifically where you find yourself sitting at your chair this morning. We pray this prayer that's right there in your handout. God, help me daily to experience your presence. We take a second and may this be a house of prayer and, and ask God to help you to daily experience his presence.
Secondly, this morning, this next question, am I daily recognizing God? So easy again to be distracted, so easy again to miss him. Am I seeing God in our everyday life? Am I experiencing him? We sat at the dinner table before and I asked my kids where they experienced God that day. And for my four-year-old, she experienced them in her baby dolls. For my seven and nine-year-old, they experienced God in Legos. But it was everyday life they were experiencing God. Can we bow our heads again and pray this prayer of response to that question? God, help me to daily see you at work in all the details of my life. We pray that. It's on the screen. If you're watching online, it's in your handout there on your outline if you're in the room. God, help me daily to see you at work in all the details of my life. Then the last question this morning, and I encourage you, maybe take these questions and these prayer responses and put them somewhere and pray throughout the week, pray on a daily basis. The last question as we respond together is, am I living a life of repentance, of evaluating the change and then repenting and turning to experience the change? So can we close our eyes again across the room and pray this as we wrap up this morning? God, help me daily to be broken over what breaks your heart. Help me, God, daily to be broken over what breaks your heart. And God, help me to repent from those things.
Father, we thank you for this morning. Father, we thank you for the ability to be challenged by your word, to understand that we're, live, we're holding the living and active word of God. And God, to believe as we open your word, you speak to us. And Father, I just pray, believing this morning that you've spoken to all of our hearts. As God, we've evaluated where change is needed but God also more importantly as well that we're desperate to experience that change. And so Father, I pray today that this church, that these people would be a people desperate to experience your presence. May we not just walk through the motions and be religious. God, strengthen us to desire you and you alone. Father, as well, we pray today for your help to, to see you at work in all the details of our life, that you're in all the little and big things that are going on and you can be trusted in that. God, help us to daily recognize you. Also today, we pray that we be people of repentance. God, as you bring things to our heart that, that we've done that are against you, that you would strengthen us to turn to repent and, and turn from looking at those ways to looking to you and you alone and be broken over what breaks your heart. So Father, may we be people again that take this seriously, what you desire of your church, to be a house of prayer, to be a house of desperation, for your presence to be seen and for you to be worshiped. Father, thank you again for our time together this morning. God, would you move now in a time of invitation? God, move us to respond to whatever it is you're calling us to respond to. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. As I close this morning, in preparation for this message today, I came into our kitchen Monday as I was getting back home from the office. And I got home from the office and I came into the kitchen and Collins was there working on some kind of thing. Collins is our oldest, our nine-year-old. He was there working on something on the counter, some type of art type thing. And he was sitting there and I said, guess what, dad? I just, I talked to Chuck that morning. We kind of worked out the staff switcheroo to who would preach when. And I said, I get to preach this Sunday. And Collins, my nine-year-old looks at me and he says, what, what you gonna preach on, dad? And I said, well, I'm gonna preach on Jesus. And he didn't let me finish the sentence. I just said, I'm gonna preach on Jesus. And I was going to overturning the tables in the temple, but he didn't let me finish the sentence. And here's what he said. He said, well, obviously. <laughs> but then it hit me. Y'all with me? It hit me. That's what it's all about. It didn't matter what came next because it's all about him. And may this morning our hearts and our lives be all about him. Will you stand with me this morning as we move to a time of response? And my question to you is this, have you let Jesus in? Maybe you're here this morning and you don't have a relationship with God through his son Jesus. Have you let him into your life to be your personal Lord and Savior. In just a moment, I'm gonna step down front. Other staff members will be here on the sides and we will be here to receive you, to help you with the greatest decision that you can ever make in following Christ. Maybe you're here this morning and your response is that you need to be obedient to God. I can say personally, my experience of God changed dramatically 
in my obedience to God. Maybe you're here this morning, you need to be obedient in baptism. You wanna come talk to one of us, we'll help you with that conversation. Also this morning, we all need to be a part of a Bible-believing, teaching church. And maybe you're here and you're ready for Ridgecrest to be your church home. You can come this morning. We love to have that conversation with you. And then lastly this morning, maybe this morning you've evaluated some change and you desperately wanna experience that change and we wanna open this altar to be a place, to be a house of prayer. And maybe this morning you wanna come to the altar in desperation personally, but also in desperation for us corporately to experience the presence of God in a greater way. So brother Aaron and the team are gonna lead and as they lead, you respond to how God leads you to respond.